stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Bryanick, and this week I'm joined by Maddie Johnson. She's a associate stock strategist here at Zach's, and she's also the editor of The Dividend Investor, which is one of our Zach's weekly newsletters here. And that's vital because I'm having her on to talk about how we can buy innovative stocks, companies that you know are innovating and things, but the ones that will also pay you some cash, just cold, hard cash right into your account. We all like that, right? So Maddie, I wanted to have you on because I feel like dividends for some reason um, are kind of hot right now. Like everybody wants some. And I think people have this idea of them um, that's a little bit old, maybe. Maybe some of the older investors only have this idea that it's only these kind of old stodgy companies that are paying the dividends. Um, but you can get dividends through some of these kind of hot, innovative companies now. Yeah, uh, for a long time. I mean, not for a long time. I just feel like forever. When you think dividend stocks, you think utilities, you think consumer staples, you think insurance companies, you think telecoms, yeah. which aren't no, I'm no offense to any of those companies. They just aren't very exciting. Right. No offense. <laughs> um, Let's call them the boring stock. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they have offered shareholders something really unique is that they're stable. They stable growth, stable revenue, stable earnings, and that results in a stable dividend. Yeah. Now, what what exactly is a dividend? Like, why why do I want to get it? Why why do some companies pay it and other ones don't? Like, what's the whole deal with dividends? So, a dividend is just it's a quarterly cash payout, and it's exactly what you said earlier. I mean, it's it's just like cash in your in your account as a reward for investing in a certain stock and a certain company. Um. And it's usually, so why we think of old stodgy companies as the only ones paying out dividends, it's because when a company is able to give their shareholders that little reward, it's because they've entered a point, I, it's like they've entered like a stagnation point, a stagnation era in growth where they're not really churning out like high growth um, earnings reports, high growth numbers, high growth uh, research and development. So yeah. like that money that they would put into like R&D is now going into the pockets of shareholders, which okay. is great. Yeah. Um, so if you look at Microsoft, uh, they started paying a dividend in 2004. Um, okay. And they're a good um, example of a tech company that does actually pay a dividend. But 2004 was when like Microsoft just wasn't the hot, the high flying stock it is today. They didn't oh. um the company didn't see the need to reinvest its earnings to fuel high growth. So um, now they pay a dividend. They they currently yield, their shares currently yield like a tick under 1%. But that's because Microsoft stock has just soared into the stratosphere over the last year. So their yield has really come down because of that. Um, but yeah, so Microsoft is a good example of how um, or why companies start paying dividends. Yeah, I used to think of dividends with some of these big cap companies as a way um, to reward you for like sticking around. Like when things yeah. 
going so great, at least <laughs> getting this dividend. <laughs> um, that's kind of what was happening in 2004 when Microsoft started paying that dividend out. Yeah. Is that, you know, the shares had really declined in the dot-com bust, basically, and they needed to do something. And they had great cash flow, which they still have. And so they were able to start that and kind of, you know, keep shareholders at least happy for getting well, some for sticking Exactly, more. yeah. And another example of that is IBM. They oh. currently yield 5.2%. But as we know, the past decade or so has not been great for the company. It's just been um, super stagnant. They just haven't been able to find those key growth catalysts. Um, but as a reward for the shareholders who have stuck with them um, through kind of like lots of different obstacles and turmoil, I mean, a 5.2% yield is is pretty great. Right. But what about that old saying, like when you get those higher yields, like anything 5% or higher, that you should be cautious because something else could be going on at the company. Like, why Why am I getting this if things are good? Kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely like the, the, those high yield traps, kind of like yeah. a value trap. Like, are you, it looks really good on the outside, but once you start digging into, you really have to take a, like, take time to look at a company's balance sheet. So, right, with any anything you're investing in, like looking at a balance sheet is key, but with dividend stocks, especially, you want to make sure that the payout ratio is good. Um, 60%. So if a company pays out 60% or less of their earnings, that's kind of like a good way to gauge if the dividend will be safe. or um, so, And to see if a company isn't paying too much of its earnings in a dividend. Um, and you want to look at cash flow, right? Like, does uh, a company have enough cash flow, free cash flow? Are they growing their cash flow to actually sustain the dividend as well? Okay. So where do the energy companies come into play here? Like, specifically, like Chevron and Exxon, they're not necessarily the innovators, although maybe some people might consider them to be innovators going forward here with right. a lot of changes that they're going to be doing to their companies about the climate issues and all of that. But those were well over 5% in 2020 with the pandemic, you know, collapse of oil and all of that. And they've come down, but they're still really high. And there was a lot of questions about whether or not those companies would continue to pay them because they didn't mm -hmm. have cash flow to cover. But both Exxon and Chevron have continued to pay it and have said that they are going to. But um, should investors be cautious in anything like on the commodity side, like in energy? Oh, I think so. Um, I mean, so I added Chevron to income um, two weeks ago now, right at the end of February. Um, and I was really unsure because I had a lot of, well, I had a few oil and energy plays in income in the beginning of up until the beginning of last year when oil prices tanked yeah. they went negative and I just had to cut my losses because it was really uh sad just looking at the portfolio um but I I just felt it was time to get back in with uh crude you know on the rise again um and I liked Chevron because its balance sheet is really stable they just are they just have a ton of cash so but even, even with that in mind and even with their juicy dividend, I mean, 
that's always going to be on the back of my mind with any type of commodity play because you just don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone, I mean, maybe oil experts did last year, but I don't think retail investors or, or us, we expected oil prices to go negative. I mean, that's just, it was yeah. like, it just yeah. felt kind of crazy and scary. And, um, but that, that can happen. I feel like with any type of commodity too. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the innovators. Now, to prepare for the show, I kind of looked around going, of course, I could find all these innovators that pay sure. like good, <laughs> good dividends, I thought, like, you know, above 1% maybe is what I consider to be good for like a, a more dynamic company to be paying it out. And I was like, oh, there's got to be dozens of these. But then I discovered, whoops, there really aren't. There's not that many. <laughs> I looked around like in the medical area because there's all those companies innovating in medical products, you know, drugs, the biotechs, all of that. And I thought certainly like, sure, like what about Edwards Life Sciences or Intuitive Surgical? They're huge. They got to be paying a dividend. But no, right. they don't pay anything, let alone like above 1%. So I did find that it was more difficult to find ones that are kind of more companies on the cutting edge when I was. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to jump in really quick. So when I look for stocks for income, one of um, my uh, key things is if they have a yield that's greater than the S&P 500 at the moment. Okay. So the S&P yields about 1.5%. Um, obviously it was higher in at the end of 2020 and it's come down quite a bit. So if I can, I just like to make the case that if you, invest in a certain company that it's, it would be more rewarding for you as a shareholder versus if you were just to uh, put your money into um, an S&P fund ETF, something yeah. like that tracks the S&P. So that's yeah. what I look for. I mean, 1%, that's still a really good yield, yes. um, but, but I like looking at or comparing it to the S&Ps. Well, yeah. And the 1% or if you get like 0.5, I know it can get kind of depressing because yeah. <laughs> you get, you're like, oh, I got my dividend. Wait, it was literally like $4. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's going to take me a while to get to that one share bonus. On the, in right, the right. So that's all kind of lame. So when I when I'm looking for dividend stocks just for my own personal portfolio too, I do I do like to get the ones that pay more. So that makes sense that I might as well get more than the S&P 500 because, yeah. I, you know, I can just go buy that index and get it. Right. Exactly. So I might as well get more. And it's more interesting because I get the cash in the account and it's fun that way if it's bigger. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So... Do you want to start with like an innovator and then I'll do one after you do one and then we'll kind of see what. Well, what yeah. Um, so I, when I was also looking for stocks, um, I don't even know if they're very innovative either, but the one that <laughs> stuck out to me was um, ABV, ticker oh. ABBV. Yeah. Um, you know, they're a. The, they were spun off from Abbott Laboratories a while ago, um, but they're a really cool pharma giant, pharma stock. Um, more, you know, they have, I believe they have Humira. Um, yes. That's like one of like their leading drugs. And, but they also specialize in genomics and cancer research. Um, yeah. But what stuck out to me was that, was their yield. 4.9% dividend yield right now. 
They also boast 47 consecutive years of dividend growth. So that makes them um, a dividend aristocrat, which are companies that have uh, increased their payouts consecutively for 25 years or more. Um, so that's a really big draw. Their payout ratio, um, according to our data, is 49.5%. So that's pretty comfortable. So I don't think investors would have to worry about um, AbbVie overextending their earnings, so to speak. Um, and then I also saw that Warren Buffett and Kathy Wood just bought AbbVie. Oh. Um, Buffett, I'm for Berkshire Hathaway, and I believe Kathy Wood for her ARC fund, but I could okay. be mistaken on that. Um, and they also only trade, they're really cheap. They've been really cheap for a long time, yeah. which kind of makes, you know, it's like 8.5 times forward earnings multiple. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if that makes it, it because they've been um, trading so cheaply for a long time. If it, you know, should be concerned if it's a little bit of a value trap, but um, I don't know from what I just like, just like these very basic bullet points that I've jotted down. AbV just looks like a really, um, it could be a good pick for, for an investor who wants a dividend stock, but also wants exposure to medical and pharmaceuticals. Yeah, um, I agree. I just bought it for my own personal portfolio. Oh, like okay. A week ago. Yeah. So I'm a new investor. Um, and, and Buffett did get in at the end of 2020. And not surprising because it is so cheap, as you mentioned, even on a PE basis and all of that. And its financials are so solid. But um, I'm hoping Kathy Wood bought it for the one thing that they did buy, which they closed on this deal not th not too long ago. I think it was last year, which is when they bought Allergon and got the mm. Botox. <laughs> right. So Botox now. But one of the reasons, issues with them is that 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 big drug Humira is going off of its patent protection in 2023. Yeah. So for the last couple of years, everybody on the Wall Street has been freaking out because it's a huge percentage of their revenue. This was before they bought Allergan. And everyone was wondering, how do they keep going? What else do they have in the pipeline? They don't have anything that can replace this and revenue is going to fall. But they're not dumb. They've been um, working on replacing it, which is part of the reason they bought Allergan. And they are saying that they are prepared for it to go off the patent, you know, the protection in 2023 and that the dividend is fine and they intend to grow the dividend and the rest of the business. So to me, it looks like they're in going in the right direction and um, you know, the street will ultimately realize that, but they may not realize it until it actually goes off and then, and then we see, so that's still right. another two years away, but um, yeah, like they, they are rewarding the shareholders for sticking around and you, you could, you do have to like that yield for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So real cash in there. Okay. Um, I do like that one, and evidently I'm realizing I must like dividend paying stocks because <laughs> the one other one I, I do like is the one in the cannabis area, which most people don't know about because it is a REIT, which is a little mm. bit, but Innovative Industrial Properties is its name. I've talked about it many times on various podcasts. IIPR is the ticker. Um, so what REITs do, for those who don't know, it's a real estate investment trust. So the tax implications are a little bit different. So be cautious on the tax part because 
those those kind of companies pay out 90% of their taxable income to shareholders. That's why you get big dividends with REITs. And they're usually like hotels or you yeah. know, any kind of property, farmland. There's a REIT for farmland. But this one is on cannabis and IIPR uh, buys up buildings and structures and then the growers lease back from them and at very high rates because the growers cannot yet go to banks and get money <laughs> to expand their businesses. Mm -hmm. So IIPR basically acts kind of like a bank for the cannabis industry in the United States only. And every state that passes either medical or then for the leisure type of thing, IIPR usually ends up going into those states and buying up various uh, properties and then working with the growers in those states. So they've been doing it for, what, five years now, I think they have. And yes. so they're the leader in the industry of basically providing capital to the cannabis industry. Now they lease it back out at rates that are like super high, 11% to 15% on long-term leases, which used to be 15 years. But now the company is saying a lot of the recent ones have been 20-year leases at anywhere between 11 and 15%. So you could see that they're creating quite a lucrative business for those who are shareholders. Right. So this one um, used to yield more, but then the shares have soared. They are up 77% in the last year, but they have pulled back in this growth stock sell-off that we're having here in 2021. And they're down 20% off, off the last month. So you're getting them a little cheaper here. And now it's yielding 3%. To shareholders, but they have been raising the dividend because they're going into new states. They're getting, you know, more income is coming in each quarter. And so they have been raising it um, just about every quarter recently. They've been adding onto it. So IIPR is a way to legally get into the cannabis area. Um, one area of caution. Now, I own IIPR also in my own portfolio because I do did love the dividend and the idea of owning a cannabis company that actually has great cash flow and that, you know, is at the top of the industry. I but, also own it in my personal portfolio as okay, well yeah, right. uh, for most of the same, like almost all of the same reasons you just listed. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool company to own, I feel. But the one danger and maybe some of the reason for the recent sell-off as well is that um, if or when they do some kind of federal legislation on cannabis that either uh, allows banking to happen or, um, you know, actually decriminalizes the industry or whatever changes they may make to the legalization of cannabis at the federal level means that once you get banks and other financial companies able to lend in it, there's going to be a lot of competition for IIP. Right. They're no longer going to be the, the sole or among the sole options for a lot of the growers. If the grower can go to the bank in its town instead of IIPR and pay less to get the cash, they will, obviously. So mm -hmm. that's one of the dangers that's kind of lurking out there. But IIPR, you know, right now is in the sweet spot because it is locking in 
the 15 to 20 year leases on the current deals it's doing. So this is something to keep in mind. It's not, you know, um, it's not free and clear. And it all depends on when this some of this legislation might go through. Now, they have said on the recent conference call that they feel like they're competitive in the capital markets for what they're providing. And a lot of the big, big growers now, some of them are, you know, seeking and need cash of like 200, 300 million in addition to the the property locations. They need even more cash. They are able, some of the big growers are able to tap the various capital markets or to do SPACs even and mm-hmm. tap it that way. But they do have to give up an ownership portion when they tap that way versus just entering into a lease with IIPR to do to get to tap some cash. But they are um, some of the big guys are able to find other sources even right now. But there's still it's such a growing industry. There's so many even of the mid-sized growers that do not have the capabilities that the big guys have. So they still have plenty of customers, you know, future tenants that are out there. Um, but you you will have to watch the quality of who they're leasing to going forward and how, how that's going to work too if they start to go from some of the biggest players down, you know, some. But we just had elections where several more states just allowed medical marijuana and recreational again, I think. So they're going to be entering into those new markets and they're still going to have, you know, quite an advantage because they now have four to five years of experience lending to this industry, basically, uh, or entering partnerships, which is really what it is. So, so yeah, I like innovative, but it does have this slight tinge of danger (laughs) lurking there. Yeah. And 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 it, it's not like their business is going to go away completely. They're just going to get more competition and it it could evolve into more of a standard REIT. You're not going to be up 77% in one year going forward as possible. So that's, yeah. And I feel like this, um, um, the lurking danger that you wonderfully explained is something that we as investors and just like, um, us stock analysts just watching, it was always there on the horizon. Like we, it's like, um, over like the past few years as more and more States, um, legalized recreational medical marijuana, that was always kind of, um, inevitable that innovative would, um, one day experience, like, just more competition as it is in any industry. Um, But I think you're right. Um, I think that they're going to be the number one player to beat in the grow house space for a while now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, Okay. So I also found, or I found a REIT that I liked. Um, Not, I don't think very innovative, but it's okay. wire. It's Wirehauser. W Y. It's the um, the the timber, like the biggest, like global owners of Timberland. Okay. Um, and I didn't know they were a REIT. I just thought they were like essentially like a lumber company, but they own twenty five million acres of Timberland in the U S. and Canada. Okay. So they manufacture wood products, structural lumber. 
um, engineered wood and other types of things. And markets are like residential, like commercial and industrial. But I wanted to highlight them because of because of their connection and how they present a good read of the housing market. Oh, okay. Um, and um, I'm sorry. What <laughs> they, thought. So what do they? So do? the yield is the yield is two percent. Um, they have a payout ratio of fifty-two point seven percent. So that's still nicely under that sixty percent threshold that we like to look at. Um, they trade about 18, 18.8 times their forward earnings multiple, but, um, management is still, so from their most recent earnings report, management is still pretty rosy on their outlook going forward, even with like the hottest, even with the, the housing market looking as hot as, um, it has recently, basically the entire year. Um, yeah. So with them, they they really take into account housing starts and housing building and new house building and stuff like that. And this whole wave of millennials and new home buyers moving from cities to the suburbs, looking for houses to just have more yard space, whatever. Um, that's really been beneficial for that for the company last year. And in the in the management and uh, the talk guys, they don't really see that ending anytime soon. Okay. So if you're looking for a way um, to kind of invest in the housing market, choosing WY for your portfolio is a uni- is like a different way to yeah. kind of get in there. Um, and I was also seeing that uh, the company is going to pay an earnings-based special dividend in the beginning of next year, so 2022, and that will help boost that 2% yield even further. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one. Um, Okay, so I have one, too, that's, it is commodity-based, but I feel it's very innovative based not on the commodities. So my my, uh, stock is Nutrien, ticker NTR. And they are on the fertilizer side. They're headquartered in Canada. And they um, were formed when they merged with the, the potash, potash, however you pronounce it, a uh, potash, and um, agrium merged to create nutrient. And so they have that side. They have the fertilizer side, which is actually getting really hot right now. Prices are higher for both potash and nitrogen, and the sales are higher. Farmers are doing better. The, the weather has cooperated with the farmers for the spring planting, all of that. But that's not why they're innovative. I feel they're innovative because they've launched this whole digital uh, retail channel. So they own a lot of retailers that sell seeds and other things for the farmers. That was another segment of their business. And now they've renamed it to uh, Retail Ag Solutions because it now has this digital platform where the farmers can go to buy. Now they started this a couple of years ago and so it launched in 2019, but it was kind of a soft launch at the time and it was performing well, but then the pandemic hit And the farmers did what everyone else did, and they all started ordering online. So instead of having kind of a slow adoption of this technology, all the farmers like dove in. So 
um, in 2020, the revenue from that segment more than doubled from uh, the from the company's estimate, which was only supposed to be about 500 million because it was like newly launched. They thought it would do better than 2019 when they did the soft launch, but they were shocked to find it was 1.2 billion instead of the 500 million. And that was four times the 2019 level. And that momentum has carried into 2021 now, because once you start buying your seeds and everything else online, fertilizers, all that stuff, why change now? You're not going to. So they're being very innovative in adopting technology for the farming industry to, you know, increase productivity and all these things. So I like them a lot. And then they have the fertilizer side, which is entering into this strong up cycle as well. And they're yielding 3.3% right now, even though the shares. Mm. Yeah. So it's pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. Even though the shares are up about 47% in the last year, but they still got that big yield. So, and they are dedicated to the yield partially because things have been not good the last couple of years on the fertilizer side. And so to keep, this is one of those companies that to keep the shareholders happy and sticking around, they did have to pay out the, the decent dividend um, to keep everybody in, you know, on board. But now they have both the combination of the good dividend plus the good business underlying it. So Great. I'm liking this upcycle here in farming. And so if you want to play that some way without buying like one of the equipment equipment makers or that that kind of thing, then Nutrien NTR is a good way, I feel, to get this exposure with some innovation. Absolutely. So, um, so I wanted to kind of like talk over how dividends can be um, beneficial in times of volatility really quickly. Yeah. Because um, I think that's a, an important way to um, take advantage of them. So the last the past few weeks have been, uh, we've seen lots of up and downs of the market, lots of up and downs in our portfolios. And with the dividends, investors can get um, some relief during these times. So you can either pocket that extra cash, right? So save it for a rainy day, put it in, a, in an emergency fund, whatever you want to do. But you can also reinvest those dividend dollars, those dividend payouts. And that's yeah. what makes um, dividends really awesome. <laughs> wow. So you can purchase additional shares, right. With the money that you receive, and that will help you grow your investments quickly and quietly. Um, and then, you know, when you hit retirement age, when you hit 65, 70, 72, whenever you decide to retire, you are already creating extra revenue streams in your nest egg years. And yeah. that's really important. Yeah. And that's what makes dividends just a really cool way to, you know, build your portfolio that isn't buying 10,000 shares of GameStop. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and if you allow the dividends to compound for a number of years, you might be surprised at like how much it adds to your position in that stock and your overall portfolio. Um, because I, I, I didn't think much about it, but I've owned a couple of dividend payers for like five or six years. And now that I've owned them for a number of years, I'm like shocked at 
one how how much dividend I'm getting. And the these are stocks that are yielding like two and a half percent. So they're not even the five percenters or anything like that. Yeah. But two and a half percent is still pretty decent. And if you own it over the course of a number of years, again, it starts to like compound. And now I'm getting more shares every every year because it's just is adding on because I'm reinvesting it. And it's been a nice little surprise at how well it's compounded even over the course of five years. So I can't imagine what it would be like, you know, to do 20 or 30 years compounding those dividends. Now that's when you get real power. Right. And I feel like that, that goes to what you were asking earlier, why younger investors are starting to like dividends. And I think it's because, um, you know, millennials, Gen Z, even the tail end of your generation, the Gen Xers, yeah. we're seeing, um, like for a while, like there was, you know, these headlines where the social security is going to run out by the time certain individuals reach retirement. Right. So we, or <laughs> millennials will never be able to buy, afford a house because they are buying too much, uh, avocado toast or like some silly thing like that. So I just feel like for my generation, I am a millennial coming out of the great recession, um, and seeing how that just decimated, uh, like my grandparents, uh, retirement savings, for instance. Um, and I think the lure of dividends is just building like a solid foundation or when I do reach those pivotal years in my late 60s, early 70s, when I am really starting to think about retirement and when the the, the money and the, the other things that allowed previous generations to feel really secure maybe won't be there anymore. Yeah. So dividends just allow to create just, oh, it's like a safety net, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And it can go to a lot of your performance. Again, if you're getting 3%, then, you know, you only need 7% in the stock to get right. the 10% a year, which is, you know, pretty good return. I know it doesn't sound that great right now for some people <laughs> like, what, 10%? No. But right. I just, Kathy Wood on uh, a TV interview, and she said she aims to get 15% a year with any new addition to any of her ETFs. And that would double the value of that uh, stock wow. within five years if you get the the 15%, which is very high. But imagine it's you know a little bit easier maybe to get to some of those levels if you're already getting you know two and a half or five percent just from the dividend and you're reinvesting it in. So it does go a long way. There there was uh, one finance uh, book that I read that talked about this and said why some of the older uh, dividend payers outperformed the kind of sleek and new um, non-dividend payers over the course of several decades. And it was literally because you got like two or 3% more in that, in that dividend and you compounded it. And so it wow. made it made the difference. Yeah. Although yeah. then I looked and I recently saw the list of the 30 best performing S&P stocks over the last 30 years. And I do have to say that several of the top, the top ones on that list do not pay dividends, which is unique. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. They are able yeah. to pound 
at over 30% annualized during that time period without paying the dividend. But we're not all so lucky to pick those winners. So <laughs> we're going to need a little bit of a help. And I feel the dividends gives you that little bit of help in there. Yeah. And I mean, think about what even just the Apple dividend does to Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio. Right. Well, I was... Yeah, he basically is getting so much cash even just from, and the yield isn't even that good, right? You said like, it's, or, it's 0. 0.7% right okay, now. So that's it's not nothing. that great, right? Yeah. And he's he has a big position and it's creating so much cash and whatnot. He's, he's you know, he, he loves it. And so you can really see, and he's owned, what, five years now? So it was yielding mm -hmm. higher when he first originally bought in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can you can really see what happens. Now, one other thing I did want to talk about, there are some other tech stocks other than like Microsoft, App, Apple or IBM that we just were mentioning. There are some semiconductors that pay decent dividend yields that people should maybe go and check out as well. Um, one of my favorites is Broadcom, ABGO is the ticker because it's yielding 3.4%. And those shares have pulled back in this growth stock sell-off we've had here in 2021, at least a little bit. So you might be able to get it in there a little bit cheaper, but that's that's a nice dividend, 3.4%. Um, also, some retailers also pay the dividend, and some of those might not be as innovative, but you might find a retailer here or there that does have innovation in it. And so be looking for that. One of them might be a company like Herman Miller, MLH mm. is the yes. So they own Design Within Reach, which is a trendy uh, home furnishings company, but they also make office furniture. And a lot of what they make is considered kind of cutting edge and innovative. And they also started an alliance uh, making video gaming chairs for video gamers. So oh, wow. okay. that are all have the tech like installed in the chair and that's a big deal. So that's very innovative. So don't rule out some of these, these retailers, they pay, they did stop the dividend initially during the coronavirus uh, pandemic crisis, but they reinstated it and it's yielding 1.9% currently. So that is above the S and P 500. Um, but they haven't reported earnings yet. We'll see how they do. And they could be a pandemic reopen play because they do make the office furniture, which is really lagged, obviously, in the last year. So we'll see what's going on with that. But I feel like there are, you know, you got to kind of dig around to find the innovators. But there are some out there. They're not all AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> which has like over seven. It's like yielding over 7% right now. So AT&T is over 7. AT&T is over 7. Not Verizon probably. is not that high. Um, oh. when I sold it from income, it was four something, it was under five, but it's okay. still really good. Um, but yeah, yeah, like you don't, you don't have to buy AT&T. You don't have to buy, um, right. a utility like Dominion. Um, you know, you can, their tech stocks can be dividend stocks. And I think that's, um, something that we need to like keep drilling into people that you can, um, you know, buy into the buy into any tech sector that you want and probably find, be able to find a dividend stock. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been interesting and I hope ho helpful to a lot of people who want to get the cash because as we see, you and I own several of these 
in our own portfolios because we like to get the cash too. Yes. <laughs> it's fun. Um, I like seeing that little dividend go in there. Even if it's not very much, you'd be surprised. Occasionally I have gotten like one or two dollar dividend, like quarterly dividends in some of my home. <laughs> it does make me laugh, but they pay it out anyways, equal the same. And it does add up over time. Okay, let me recap some of the tickers we've talked about. So we did talk about Microsoft, ticker MSFT. I do own that one in my personal portfolio. I kind of didn't buy it for the dividend, though, but it is nice to get it. IBM is paying over 5%, but we kind of know what some of their problems are, but they're paying you to stick around. IBM is the ticker. We talked a little bit about the big oils because they're paying that big dividend right now. Chevron is CVX and Maddie did just recently add it to the income investor. I think I called it dividend investor in the beginning. It's income investor is the Zach's newsletter that <laughs> he edits and runs. Um, but you all would know what I'm talking about. So yes, that's Chevron CVX and Exxon is its partner, XOM. They also pay the big yield. Then we talked about AbbVie, which I just bought because I do like its story and that is ABBV almost paying 5%. It's 4.9 right now. Then Innovative Industrial Properties is the cannabis stock, IIPR, with a little bit of danger in there, but it's yielding 3%, and it's a REIT. Then we had Weyerhaeuser. That's a REIT, ticker WY, on the timber side, yielding about 2%. Then we had Nutrien, which is in farming out of Canada, and that one is yielding, oh, let me take my paper, 3.3%. So not a bad yield there with NTR is the ticker. And then we mentioned a few more at the end here. Apple, we all know that one, AAPL, but it's under 1%. Herman Miller's out there, MLHR, and that's about 1.9%. And I think that was about it. No, Broadcom, I almost forgot Broadcom. Avago, AVGO, or did I say that one? 3.4% is the yield on that one. That's a lot of stock ideas, but uh, you need to go and check them out, research them, go on zax.com, check out the ranks, see what the earnings are looking like, and um, get some of your free cash, or it's not totally free, but get your cash <laughs> as a shareholder. And as always, I will uh, be back next week with some more stocks. So be sure to subscribe. Get us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music now. We're everywhere. But get us somewhere, and I'll see you again next week. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.